This week on The Perfect Scam. They're saying that they are stopping gazelle transactions. They give me a claim number, and so I think tragedy averted. I start getting these alerts from my email saying that I sent money to somebody at Chase. I'm like, what? And so I go into that email and quickly try to grab the money to take it back, and it's already gone. Welcome back to The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Bob Sullivan. New person-to-person payment apps, P2P apps, like Venmo and Zelle, make it easy for family and friends to pay each other an IOU after splitting lunch. Easy to send a kid at college enough money for a special weekend meal. Consumers really like P2P apps, but so do criminals. Because the transfers are nearly instant and there are no credit card-like consumer protections enforced on P2P, crooks can really take advantage of the system. According to the New York Times, nearly 18 million Americans have been victims of P2P fraud. Today, we're going to meet one of them. Laura Daniels-Ball had recently said goodbye to her husband of nearly 40 years when her family urged her to find something new and positive to focus on. So, she set out to pursue a long-delayed dream. Laura is an amazing baker. She makes sweets for everyone in her life, in her family, in her church. She's always called it her baking ministry. So after a full life as a professional, a singer, a mom, she set out on her second act decided to open her own cookie business. And right as she was set to launch, after many, many months of testing and design and more testing, a criminal stole all the money she had borrowed to launch Lura's kitchen. They stole it by hijacking her Zelle account. And the bank, well, surely her bank would help her get her money back, she thought. Let's learn what happened when Lura opened her kitchen and her heart to the world and criminals stuck their hand in the cookie jar. You can change things if you start giving. So why don't you reach out and touch somebody's hand? Make this world a better place if you can. That's Lura. She's 66, lives in Los Angeles in the traditionally black Crenshaw neighborhood. Lura started life in Texas as a singer. But then she met her husband. I met my husband at USC off of our floor. I was an RA and he was unescorted. He was unescorted on an all girls. That was back when, when it was all girl, all male floors. <laughs> this is not the case now, but he was unescorted on the floor and he was a roommate of, uh, of uh, who, who ended up being my brother-in-law of a little scoundrel that had cheated me out of a dollar a couple of months before at a dance. So he was suspect. So I'm like, who are you? What are you doing on this floor and escorted? So that's kind of how I met my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he managed to find his way back to the floor somehow. You know, something, yeah, something, something clicked that, that, that mm-hmm. evening. He was, he was so intelligent and well, actually he, he came back the, the, the next night I had gone to see Diana Ross, who is my ultimate, one of my ultimate people that I just love. And uh, he was waiting. I'm, I'm like, uh, what are you doing here? He said, well, I thought I'd come back and visit you. You know, and I'm like, mm, yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was just really mean and uh, he didn't go away. So I was like, okay. 
Well, we'll talk. And then something clicked, you know, and he's a keeper. He was a keeper, you know, until until he passed away. 30, 30 some odd years married and 41 together. Laura comes from a very, very big family. This is Iva Spite, her older sister. Well, there were eight children, two parents, so that's ten. Four girls, four boys. <laughs> How did they pull that one off? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> that's some magic. And it actually came in sort of an order. Girl, boy, girl, boy. How about then, that? Laura? Well, she was the last child, the baby. It's actually pretty typical that the baby of a large family becomes an entertainer. I'm the baby of my family, too, and you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I just I just hate being called the baby of the family. <laughs> uh, who doesn't, right? Everyone says you get all everything you want, right? All those things. My thing is you get to a certain age and they're still calling you the baby of the family. I'm like, come on, <laughs> give it a rest, folks. You know? Laura and Iva started out life in Texas with the rest of their siblings, but they are all spread out now. Well, unfortunately, we lost three of our brothers already, but I'm the only one in Michigan. And then I have two sisters and a brother in California. Uh, Laura's in Southern California. The other two is Northern. And then a sister in Texas. So we're kind of spread out. But, you know, we talk almost every day. Laura ended up in Los Angeles because her husband was a filmmaker. She decided to focus on her family and gave up her future as a professional singer but she kept on performing, and still does, with friends and for charities. After raising their three kids, Laura worked on an impressive set of jobs in community relations. She helped a large beer company give out grants to organizations serving inner cities for a while. Then she worked at USC. But she also spent a lot of time baking. I've been baking for years as a ministry, and then also in celebration of of my, whenever my kids would do something, I would create a cookie in honor of, of whatever they did, you know, their grades or uh, something, I would create a cookie for. And over the years, my colleagues would say, can you combine these elements and make me a cookie or whatever? So your kids would come home with a good report card and you would create a cookie for them? Yeah, I wanted to find a unique way to celebrate them. That's And so that was, that was a unique, you know, way to kind of um, have a lasting kind of way to celebrate. So they, they would have ownership, you know, in, in a tangible way. Um, so can, did you, can you give me an example or two? My oldest son, Langston, uh, hates nuts. Um, so I created his Langston's no-nonsense chocolate chip cookie for his, um, his uh, soccer celebrations. So that was his cookie. My daughter, Lauren, loves macadamia nuts, and she is a, a performer. Well, you know, she didn't want to come up in my in the in the wake of my performing so she kind of studied quietly and then did a major solo to my surprise at one of her events and so I celebrated her with her uh, Lauren's macadamia nut and white chocolate chip cookie. Yes Laura made a special cookie just for Iva too. Mine is the sweet potato cranberry. Mm. It's a cookie that she made specially for me. And no one else gets to have it but you. Every now and then I'll share some with my husband. The cookies aren't just for family. Her famous baked goods end up at church services, community gatherings. For Laura, baking is not just about sharing sweets. It's about sharing love. It is her mission. In the African-American community, and it's probably true in other cultures, having a meal 
is a spiritual or a communal practice or enterprise, you know, you don't really like to sit down and eat with people you don't really like. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's you know, it's you know, it's a spiritual or communal thing, and so food begins to be more than just sustenance. It's a showing of love and tradition. And so I would prepare things because they were gifts from my hands. They were things that you couldn't buy. So I would bake for people. So if someone, if I knew someone loved, you know, a chocolate cake with a a yellow cake with milk chocolate frosting, I would make that for their birthday. If they were, you know, somebody in the church that does things really for everybody and what have you, I would celebrate them with that special cake. Or uh, monkey bread is a big deal in our community. I would make monkey bread, you know, for the church you know, during the season, Mother's Day, I would make Mother's Day tea cakes and everybody in the church would be surprised and have a tea cake to take home. Father's Day, I would do something special for Father's Day or maybe create a special uh, cookie for Father's Day and everybody in church would have it. So it was, you know, something, you know, a touch of love, you know, something that you can't buy, something that lifts the spirit and lets people know that they're special. Laura had thought of, dreamed of really, turning her banking ministry into something more for many years. But there were always other important things that came first, Iva told me. How long had she mentioned to you that this was one of her dreams? Well, she's been saying it for a number of years, but you know, life gets in the way and, and, you know, and so you don't really follow your dreams. You do what you need to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then when her husband passed, you know, and she went through the whole grieving process, uh, she decided that, you know, it was time for her to do something for herself. And so she started on this journey about a year and a half ago, but she already had the conceptualization of it already down. She knew it was going to be Laura's kitchen and her cookies. She's a fantastic cook. She needed to do something for herself and she needed the business too. Yes, yes, yes. It um, In terms of taking it to this this major level. Yes. You know, part of it was practical because I had to look to the future. You know, we had spent a lot of our money on Cobra, you know, caring for him and, you know, you know, just the things in the world that makes you spend all of your retirement on just trying to live (laughs) and then just having something to do. And and then also looking towards the future in terms of what I was going to leave my children. So around the beginning of 2020, Laura starts intense testing of recipes suitable for mass production. Branding, packaging, all kinds of research. This was no impulsive step. Yes, because at the end of the day, you've got a target market. You've got personas that you want to know who's going to who is who's going to watch your product and it's the age-old question of what does your product do for people what what problem does it solve because i can make the best cookies in the world but if nobody wants a cookie <laughs> <laughs> or if they've never heard of the cookie yeah or they've never heard of the cookie as much as she needed delicious cookies laura needed capital to start her business so she raised money while she was waiting for the dough to rise so to speak yeah, she's competed for a number of grants. And so oh, wow. she she received a number of grants to start up her business. And uh, she's real good at uh, seeking out resources. So because of that, she, you know, had mount, you know, accumulated about that much. It may have been a little more because she had already 
start ordering products and packaging and all of that. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today. Everything was coming together. Everything except the timing. I decided because I have some mobility issues and because I did not want to go into brick and mortar when I did my research, I'm like, okay, I've been there, did that. I don't want to stand all day long. I don't want 14 hour days. I don't want the expense of doing brick and mortar. What can I do? So uh, my business was going to be online and I needed a co-packer. And so we worked for about nine months on my starting line of seven cookies, uh, making the cookie dough. So my R&D was about nine months and we went back and forth until they got the cookie dough right, until they got my recipes, like how Laura would bake them. And so we went back and forth with them shipping me cookie dough and whatever for me to try it. So then I went into a pre-sale. So we did, we did that uh, testing and that put us at about mid-January. That would be mid-January of 2020. And we all know what comes next. Laura's kitchen was locked down with the rest of us. And even after things started to open up a little, there were a fresh set of obstacles to shipping cookies around the country. Laura had to pivot, and she did. She wouldn't be selling baked cookies anymore. She'd be selling cookie mixes, ready for buyers to bake at home themselves. So I spent about a month or so trying to figure out what I was going to do, how was I going to recoup, and I think by, by summer, I decided to go into the dry mixes. And so then I talked to my co-packer, and so we went into R&D on the dry mixes and decided I decided to just offer the three to come out of it. So by 2021, we were uh, looking at how do I roll this out? Laura had to go through R&D all over again. She really, really wanted people who baked her cookies at home to feel the love like they would in her kitchen. So she agonized over the ingredients. I had a problem initially with my tea cake mix. And we finally got that right, got got that right. And it had to do with my nutmeg. Because <laughs> I fresh grind my nutmeg. So uh, my co-packer said, Laura, we're not going to fresh grind a nutmeg. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so we need to find the most potent nutmeg because I <laughs> want it fresh. When they open that bag, I want them to smell that nutmeg. She also has to reimagine all her packaging. But with help from a small business community development loan, She's able to plan for that. Finally, everything is ready, and Laura is headed into pre-sales. But there's still one more hurdle to overcome. Supply chain problems. Okay, so we went into pre-sales in September of 2021 with a delivering, promising that we would ship by Christmas, by December. By December... 10th, I believe it was, or something like that. I don't know if you remember, we had this bubble 
with shipping. Our co-packer didn't have all of our ingredients. Mm. We had a problem with the trucks. And we had a problem with getting the packages to the distributor to the distributor. So I did a goodwill campaign to all of my pre-orders. And that didn't seem to hurt us. They seemed to understand because it was in the news yeah, and because yeah. of the way how we communicated with them. I didn't have any bad feedback from any of our the people that pre-sold, uh, that we pre-sold into. So we kind of averted that. Okay, so then we get to our launch. And my daughter launched on no, on Thanksgiving Day. And that brings us up to the horrible day after Thanksgiving. That horrible day after Thanksgiving. After years of waiting, maybe 40 years, putting off a dream to support her family, after saying goodbye to her life partner, after dealing with COVID and supply chains and websites, Laura is finally able to launch during the Thanksgiving holiday of 2021. And the next morning, staying over with family after a big feast the night before, Laura is awoken by a very troubling phone call. I met my son's house because we'd spent Thanksgiving there with the kids. We have an air mattress. And so uh, so I, I sleep on the air mattress. So I was laying out asleep. <laughs> when the phone, but I hear, whenever the phone rings, I hear, I wake up. True. So I was kind of, I was kind of half groggy too, to be honest. And the call. It's, um, it says uh, Bank of America Small Business, because it's in my phone. And I forget what the young man said his name was. And he says that there's um, someone trying to put Zelle transfers through my account uh, for $5,000. And I'm like, what? Laura is still waking up, still getting her bearings, when the man on the other side of the phone assures her that everything will be okay. He'll be able to stop the transactions. He just needs her to carefully follow a couple of instructions. And it's, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to hang up and I'll call you back. And he says, well, you can do that. Uh, or we can do two-step verification. Uh, but it's up to you. And I said, oh, okay, we could do two-step verification. I do that all the time. So Laura follows those instructions. She gets a text and the caller tells her to read the code to him. She does, thinking she's helping stop a thief from taking $5,000 from her bank account. And it works, the caller says. Her money is safe. And they're saying that they are stopping the Zelle transactions. So they give me what I think is a claim number. And so I think, okay, tragedy averted. What happens next is completely confusing. And when I get off the phone, I start getting these alerts from my email saying that I've sent money to somebody at Chase. I'm like, what? And so I go into that email and quickly try to grab the money to take it back and it's already gone. And I'm like, what is this? And so I call Bank of America back, but it's it's Thanksgiving and it takes me 45 minutes to get somebody on the phone. And he says, you've been scammed. You've been scammed? Laura is looking online at her account, and there are three $5,000 transactions and one $3,500 transaction totaling $18,500. And all that money is gone? But how could someone have stolen her money? 
And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I had a two-step verification. He said, yeah, they're getting pretty sophisticated. I'm like, what do you mean they're getting sophisticated? He said, you should have hung up and called us back. At this point, what anyone says Laura should have done isn't very relevant. Her money's gone. All the money in the small business loan she received, and then some. That's money she needs to pay her vendors to fulfill the orders that have just started coming in to advertise. I said, well, what can I do? He said, I'll ta- I can take a claim. It'll take 90 days. I said, I said, I just launched my business. I said, that's $18,500. That's everything I have for my business. And he's like, well, I'm really sorry, miss. But this is all I can do. So I'm just like sick. I am absolutely just sick. And so I, I, I get do the claim. And I, let me tell you, it just... It, I can't even begin to tell you how I felt. I felt ashamed. I felt sick to my stomach. I, my head was swimming. In an instant, Laura's world is turned upside down. And the Thanksgiving holiday visit is ruined. Oh, no. Everybody knew what happened mm. when I got off. The kid, the grands were like, what happened? Girl? I'm like, oh, no, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I, mean, I literally had a meltdown. The whole house knew. Laura calls Iva right away to tell her the story. She was sounding so, oh God, defeated, so sad, so upset, you know, when she told me, you know. And so then she walked me through the process of, you know, how they called, just like, you know, the bank says, you know, well, the bank called and said she would have been frauded or something like that, or she thought it was the bank. It was such a, oh God, it was it was really heart-wrenching just to hear it in her voice, you know, because it's like that took the wind out of her sail. It really did. Well, and again, this is like all these stories. It's not just money, right? This is her lifelong dream. This is her putting her life back together and looking forward, right? And all of a sudden, what a, what a punch to the stomach, my God. Absolutely. As the two sisters talk, the shock begins to wear off a little bit. And Laura and Iva realize Laura's kitchen isn't going to open up after all. Not while they have to figure this out. Well, she was worried. It, sl- it stopped everything. Her PR, you know, campaign had to be halted, you know, put on hold. She couldn't order any more product at that time if she needed it. Even uh, support staff, you know, she couldn't get like one or two people in to help pack and things like that if she needed it. You know, so it, it affected it basically brought the business to a halt. But Iva figures there must be some way to get the money back. After all, when credit or debit cards are stolen or hacked, consumers get their money back then. And I said, well, let's see what we can do. You know, and so then we got to work. You know, we just start brainstorming. And she said she contacted the, the bank. She would, she filed a, uh, you know, a fraud complaint. And she, you know, then it was just a matter of waiting to hear what the bank said. But within a few weeks, she gets a letter from Bank of America, and the news isn't good. So we thought for sure that Bank of America would, you know, right away recognize and give, give me the money back. And then on the 21st, I get a letter from them saying that the claim had been denied. The letter says, in essence, that Laura authorized the transactions. So the bank has no responsibility to pay her back. That money's gone forever. And there is no way to get it back. And so I called, sat on the phone for an hour and a half that time, 
went through three different people before I got the right person. And she said, well, according to what you told the first person, you uh, stated that you gave them passcodes. And I said, no, I never stated anything about a passcode. I said that they offered me a two-step verification, which is something I do with you guys all the time. The conversation goes nowhere, and it seems Laura's kitchen is going nowhere, too. But Laura and Iva, well, they aren't going anywhere, and they aren't about to let a criminal steal Laura's dreams. So Iva helps Laura come up with a new recipe to save the cookie business. What is it? Well, that's next week on The Perfect Scam. If you have been targeted by a scam or fraud, you are not alone. Call the AARP Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can provide you with free support and guidance on what to do next. Thank you to our team of scam busters, executive producer Julie Getz, researcher Haley Nelson, associate producer Annalie Embry, and of course, our audio engineer, Julio Gonzalez. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, I'm Bob Sullivan.